2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 11 through 13 and chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 13 and 7, 2 to 4. We'll read the word of the Lord and then pray that he blesses this precious time. Chapter 6, verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. 7.2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've taken, we took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all of our afflictions. Father, help us to see the amazing words of the Apostle Paul and the power of your spirit. Father, in this day and age, love is so lacking. Love is so missing. And yet, Father, your love has been poured into our heart by the person of your spirit. Father, let us. Love as Paul loved, even though this church had broke his heart, he was open wide to them. Father, may we be open wide to those that you would draw to the kingdom of kings and Lord of lords. With praise and glory. Amen. We've been going through this and we've looked at what I call ten points of love. What is love's ten points? How do, and, and one of the things that that is a little disturbing today uh, is love. Too many people believe love is this emotion. Okay. And it's not love is a verb. It is an action. It is seen. Okay. Then if you take it into the spiritual realm and you start talking about the divine love of God, the supernatural love of God, poured into the hearts of a believer, then you have to stand back in awe because it is beyond human capability. That's why I call it supernatural. Um, it'd, be this, it'd be this simple. It isn't natural. You've seen the love of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. We've seen a love of parents to their kids for puppies and whatever else we got going on. Okay, none of that qualifies none of that fits because the love of christ is beyond knowledge without strengthening in the inner man we were looking at this this morning you can't do it i mean we can say well he hung on a cross for me do you understand that you know what eli eli lama sabachthani that's the one that freaks me out my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for us. I don't understand that. That, that's, that defies my, I don't grasp that. And he said, well, it was his love. What? It, it's, it's beyond me holding that. God separated himself from himself. 
Because his love for his creation. And yet the Apostle Paul fleshes this out. You see this. We've been looking at it. He says, our mouth opened and spoke freely. Okay? Out of the mouth speaks the the heart. All right? And he opened his mouth to him. He held nothing back. He, he, he wasn't masquerading. He wasn't being a stealthy Christian. He called a spade a spade. That's really weird in our day and age, isn't it? A person says something and that's actually what they meant when they said it. Okay? And yeah, that's what the Apostle Paul did. You roll truth out and you say, there, there it is. So the first thing is, is that love stands on truth, but love speaks truth. But he also makes a statement there in verse 12 of affections. The word restrained that you see there in verse 12, it means to hold it tight. It's, it's it compressed where it can't move. And he says, your affections have not been restrained by us. It is you who have restrained your affections. You have, if you use his vernacular, it's my heart is open to you, but you've closed your heart to me. Which is amazing because who was the founder of this church? Paul. And yet they had shut him out of their hearts. And again, it, it comes, and, and, and I shared with you years ago when we started this book, that this book is ministry. And you know what? If people can't find false doctrine in your teaching, if they can't find open sin in your life, they'll throw accusations. And, and what I've learned is, I don't have to have any proof at all about my accusations. I'm just going to roll something out there. All right. If your ministry is being effective, then that means you're doing it God's way. If you're doing it God's way, you're a target and you're going to end up with people making accusations. You know, in, in my life, I look at it as long as I've been in this church. See, I have an advantage. A lot of guys don't have this. is The only church I've ever been a part of in my entire life. It's the only one. I've, I've never attended another church. I've never been a member of another church. It's not like that I when I travel, I don't attend a church. But this is it. This is my family. And there's a bunch of you who have known me for that whole time. Not as many as there used to be, but there's up. Okay? And so those people, if someone brings an accusation against me, you ain't going to move them. They're going to say, wait a minute. I've been with him for 18 years as my senior pastor. I've known him for 26 I ain't moving. Okay? But if you've got somebody who's new in the church, they don't know me as well. And if somebody says, well, you know, I think I... You know, it was that other day. Did I tell you about that? When I was dropping off a bill, I changed some lights down at the liquor store. They're south of... Okay? I didn't come out. Somebody seen me coming out of the liquor store. Well, there's the preacher coming out of the liquor store. They tried to go get some allies. But it didn't work. These are the kinds of things. But they did this with the Apostle Paul. He was with them for 18 months. And he was living with them day to day, house to house, teaching day and night, providing for himself. And now he's been gone for a little while. 
And as he's been gone, this is actually his fourth letter. And all of a sudden, you got people making accusations against it. And what happens is they're adhering to these accusations that have no truth to them whatsoever. And so they close their hearts to their affection that they once had for the Apostle Paul. And how heartbreaking has that got to be? But there's a oneness in chapter 6, verse 13, and the first part of verse 2 in chapter 7. He says, in like exchange, okay? Equal exchange, all right? And then he makes it, let me show you what I'm talking about. As to children. He's already told them he was their spiritual father. As to children, you should have a like exchange to me. As a father loves a child, the child should love the father. The first part there, make room for us in your heart. Make room for us in your heart. But he also says it's in purity. Love has a purity about it. He says we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have took advantage of no one. And he uses we because later on in chapter 8, you'll see that he sent Titus. He says, Titus didn't take advantage of you. Titus didn't wrong you. And he's one of us. Also, so when you have that purity, then you have to have humility. Because he says, I took advantage of no one. I'm not in this for me. Do you understand that? When I have traveled outside of this country, it is not my ministry. It is our ministry. All right. See, if you're saved today, you are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things you're going to learn is, is that when you take that stance on truth, you will become a target. And you know what? Uh, People will be looking and they'll be nitpicking oh, just over anything. OK, and that's fine. That's fine. OK, but the ones that hurt you the most are the ones that you've known the longest who buy into an accusation. And that's tough. And that's what has had happened in the Corinthian church. And Paul is refuting it. But Paul in his humility says, you can't do it. Okay, he he remain he through these two texts he keeps repeating this one statement. My heart is open wide. He's like, don't you remember what you have seen, what you've experienced, and yet people are swayed. People are swayed. We were teaching on that this morning in, in our Sunday school class on. Those people who grieve or quench the Holy Spirit will be divisive in the fellowship. Anytime there's division in the, in a, in the group, I know that the person at the center of it has quenched or grieved or both. I mean, some of us are multitaskers, um, are doing both to the Holy Spirit. And then the unity that is there in the Holy Spirit is stopped. Which brings me to the point of the day. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Chapter 7, verse 3 says, I do not speak to condemn you. Now, this is kind of amazing to me because 
I think about all that the Corinthians had done and all that the Corinthians were doing. And he says, I'm not speaking to condemn you. If you read 1 Corinthians, the first six chapters, he blisters them. I mean, I cannot imagine somebody standing up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and everybody come together for fellowship and reading just the first seven chapters of that letter. Hey, we have a letter from Paul. Wait till you hear. Okay. And I mean, he just blasts them. You're arrogant. You're puffed up. I'm of Paul. I'm of Silas. I'm, you know, you just sit there and go, what in the wood? Gee. And then in chapter seven, he says, now concerning the things you wrote, you're like, yeah, all right. You've laid me to waste already. And I mean, that's, he's dealing with immorality in the church. He's dealing with schisms in the church. He's dealing with false teachers in the church. He's dealing with false doctrine in the church. And that's just the first six chapters. And you just you guys have gone as far as to pervert the spiritual gifts. What's the matter with you? But here he says, you know what? I do not speak to condemn you. Understanding that this is the fourth letter. There's one letter that I'd give anything to get my hands on. He calls it the severe letter. And I'm like, I read 1 Corinthians. What's the severe letter? <laughs> he says, I'm not speaking to condemn you. And, and the word condemn there has in it, To sentence someone. Paul is not giving the final verdict on the Corinthian believers. He's not saying, literally he could take it and you're not going to be far off to saying, I am not saying this to damn you. Okay, and I'm thinking, but what this church has done to him, why not? (laughs) I mean, these people are rude. And, and I'm like, a false teacher has come in and you're just over hill and dale. Sure. You've completely disregarded everything that you have seen and experienced and been around when I was there. You know what is amazing in the terminology he's using here? Paul is not angry. If someone falsely accuses you, can you honestly say, I'm not angry about it? I can, if I don't know it. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Someone falsely accused you. Now, you might be in business world or something to this effect, and someone may falsely accuse you of it and may get your, you know, hair standing on end. But if you think about dealing in the eternals with the destination of souls in the balance, someone's accusing you? Really? Really? And yet, it's funny because he doesn't really ever defend himself. He says, no, this is what it was. This is what we're doing. Do you not remember? Our hearts are open wide. There's no vengeance here. Have you ever seen them people? You know, you wronged somebody. You come back. You're repentant. You're sorrowful. And they just want to beat you to silly with the Bible. In love. You know, I've seen that. You just, really? There is no wrath here. There's no hostility here. And I just look at it and he says, I'm not writing this. I'm not stating this. I'm not bringing this to your, your, to your attention to condemn you, to damn you. Um, it's the heart of what you've seen. This is in Paul. 
But if you go back up to chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, and he, in his first letter, or first Corinthians, the one letter we have, there was a man, I believe, that had his father's wife. Okay, and the Corinthians were bragging about it, that this is this new freedom in Christ. And he said in his first letter, set them outside of the church and let Satan teach their flesh. Okay, now, some of us today would say, well, that's not real loving. And I would say, no, that's extraordinarily loving. All right, but here's what he says now. This end I wrote, so I might put you to the test to see whether you're obedient in all things. The one who you forgive anything, I, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did so for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. See, when you set them outside of the church, they no longer have the safety of the fellowship of the believers. And you set them outside there, now they're a sitting duck. They have no allies. Everything around them will be an enemy. And he says, I don't want them to be taken advantage of, that person to be taken advantage of. All right? That's what you and I have to say because there's times when you have, you and I may have to confront sin if the person is not willing to acknowledge that it's sin and are not willing to change their direction. Then you have to set them outside. You don't associate with them. You treat them as a unbeliever. It means you're going to just give them the basic gospel. All right? And you do that until... Repentant heart shows up. And yet even that comes from God. Paul told Timothy that if anyone disagrees with you, pray that God brings them to repentance and removes them from the snare of the devil. When you see disunity and false accusations and these schisms that Paul talks about in the Corinthian church, he knows what he's up against. These are people, men and women, who are grieving or quenching the spirit or are tares sowed in with the wheat. And that's not my job either. But you call it, you say, the word of God says this. He was pleading for the Corinthians to actually forgive this person and bring him back into the fellowship. Okay, now I can look at it here in 2 Corinthians 7, where he's saying, I don't write this to condemn you. You see, the very thing he challenged them to do, he's doing See, it's, it's like when you hear the word repentance, right? As soon as you hear it, it's like, ooh, right? Uh-oh, somebody's got their fingers smashed. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, if you think about the word, it literally means you need to change directions. Okay? I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to restore you. When you call a person to repentance, you're calling them back. I want you to come back to the fellowship. I want you to come back to the love. I don't want you to be out there all by yourself. But when you use the word repentance, everybody freaks out. Oh my God, what happened? Why? I want them restored. And the only way they'll be restored is if they repent. The only way they're going to be restored is if they 
change directions. I want you back to blessing. And Paul says, and I want you to know that this is not a final verdict. See, Paul was never afraid to confront sin. You understand that? All right. And listen, I know people seem to think that certain individuals just go out there and confront, confront, confront. There ain't nobody I ever run into who likes confrontation. Okay. I know I don't. You know, I, as a pastor, I get people who come up to me and say, well, I seen up. Nope, I don't want to hear it. You saw my didn't you deal with it. It's that simple. Why? We're all Christians. We're all ambassadors. You deal with it. Okay? I get my own little bundles of joys to deal with. I don't need your bundles of joy. I'll take care of mine. We confront sin to call to repentance, to change that direction. And because we do it, to call them back to that unbroken love. It's, you know, when you call on a person to repentance, it's hard for them to understand that it's for their own good. Okay? When you're dealing with rebellion, okay, really, if you've ever had kids, you know what I'm talking about. Alright? Because I don't, there's a school that's hidden someplace that teaches every child to lie. I don't know where that school is, but they all do it. And you just sit there and go, where did you learn that at? Oh, it's their nature. Well, poo. Okay, but what it is, it's a rebellious heart. And you know what? You and I as adults, we know what that is. But we would never think little Johnny's got one. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Every one of them does. And you know what? You will eventually get to see it. And yet you want to change that rebellious heart so you can change the direction. And I want you to come back to the place of blessing, not the place of rebellion. See, rebellion thinks it's a blessing. Well, if I get this or this or this, then I'll be better. You know what? I've said this over and over and over and over and over again. And... You still can't get people to get a hold of it. Tell me one time when your flesh has been satisfied. One time that your flesh was satisfied. That's the rebellious heart. It ain't satisfied. It can't be satisfied. Paul says, I'm not condemning you. I'm not damning you. Do you understand that what I'm doing here is loving you? I'm loving you. It is loving to bring them back in forgiveness. If you have kids, you discipline them. Why? You call them to a goodness. You don't want your kids destroyed. Okay? You know, I remember one time, you know, where I grew up, you could just go across the river and get fireworks. I mean, like real fireworks. And this was back when real fireworks did really wild things. Uh, and <clears throat> we had got a gross of M80s. 
Okay, now, these are not the M80s that everybody thinks they know of today. These are quarter <laughs> of a stick of dynamite. <laughs> okay, and so we got really smart where we could take about 10 of them and put the fuses together and tape it. And then you light it and you set a 55-gallon drum over the top of it. And it was impressive. Okay. And, of course, my grandpa come out and says, don't be doing that. <laughs> You're going to blow yourself up. <laughs> because it, it did make a go-woom. And you're like, wow, that was a bit more than what was expected. The thing went about 70 feet in the air. Look, rockets. <laughs> um, anyway, that was our first warning. So we, being as brilliant as we were, decided we had some friends around there and I had a buddy of mine, a friend of the family, had an old 55 Chevy. <clears throat> nice car. And so we took dual exhaust and uh, we decided we'd roll some M80s in the tailpipe, but we wanted to make sure it worked out good. See, there was a, the pipe bent over the axle. And so we had sticks pushing, 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 and we got them to go over. Well, that's about that far in front of the mufflers. Okay, quarter stick of dynamite, each pipe. His name was Bob. I don't even know if he's still alive, <laughs> but anyway. He came, he decided he's going to leave. He starts it up. One of the nicest running cars you ever seen. He, he takes off down the road and all of a sudden, boom! And it completely blew apart the mufflers and the tailpipes. And, of course, Bob got out and run down the road. It hit a mine. And, and, of course, me and my baby brother were in serious kimchi because... <laughs> wasn't like you had to track down who's got the M80s. <laughs> I don't know how I got through life. Anyway, we get in these places that we think are going to be a benefit and it isn't. Okay, because me and my brother had to pay to have a new exhaust system put on this Chevy. Okay, uh, and neither, you know, at that time we were bailing hay and we were making decent money, but it's tough to work a couple of days out in a hay field in 90 degree and 90% humidity knowing that it's all going to his tailpipes. Okay, so we got to pay. We stepped out of the place of blessing. Bring back to truth. See, Paul wants to restore the love between him and the Corinthians. I want that back. I'm not writing this to condemn you. And the, the, then, then the great question is, and it's inevitable, how many times do we forgive? I mean, you know, if the person is just a knucklehead, why would I keep forgiving them? Okay, well, he says, open your hearts wide. Okay. How wide? Well, what is the heart of the Lord? Okay, because I, I had people do that. They go through the psychology stuff and they come back and they, you need to have boundaries on your love. So you're not taken advantage of or overwhelmed in grief. My response is always the same. 
What was the boundaries of Christ's love? Because I know he didn't want to be grieved. Nor taken advantage of. So what was his boundary? And those are the people who leave this church. <laughs> um, let me give you a couple of verses that I think we, I think we've, we conveniently want to forget. <clears throat> Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Okay, now... For those of you who may not be aware of it, this is the red letter writing. Okay, which is similar to the red phone. Here's what he says. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Amen. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. you get that that is not a a difficult text to interpret it is a difficult text to hear because this is one of those that i really like about my lord jesus is there's not a lot of wiggle room in that okay but wonder what he meant by that well you know what he meant by that Okay, so when a person says, well, how many times do you forgive someone? Well, how many times do you want to be forgiven? Okay, because I know people right now who don't want to forgive. You know what you're doing when you do that? My standard of righteousness is higher than God's. That is a very dangerous place. But that's what it says. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Okay? Then to try to get the point across, if you go over just a couple of chapters to chapter 18... Peter... (laughs) What a guy. In 18, verse 21, Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him. Now you understand that chronologically this is falling in after what he said, that if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. And Peter was there when that was said. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. Now, look what he gives an illustration because immediately people say, oh, that's 144 times. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. But then he says, I want to give you an illustration. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, the one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Okay, for you who try to grasp this, 10,000 talents, okay, that would be like you have to pay off the national debt. Okay, 
That's what you owed. Okay, so it's a number that you're... I don't, I don't know. All right. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and that repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. (laughs) Okay. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. Okay. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a day's wages. And he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him. Have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay back that was owed. So the fellow slaves saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave? Now, and we know how it is. He throws him in prison. I want you to think about something. Anybody here sin against Jesus? Did he forgive you? Which one? And you have a right to hold judgment on who? Okay, now listen, it doesn't mean that I don't want to bring you away from a sinful situation and I'll call you to it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when they move away from it, guess what? I guarantee you somewhere down the road they're going to fall into something else. It says we are to strengthen the feeble. You know what that means? Pick them up. Watch them fall. Pick them up. Watch them fall. Pick them up. Watch them fall. I'm getting tired. Pick them up. Watch them fall. You are to strengthen the weak. And weak there in in Thessalonians is dealing with people who are weak morally. And listen, I don't know about you, but they're everywhere. And I can spend a whole day strengthening the weak. But it's our responsibility. I've had people who sin against me. I was the target. And I want to help the faint-hearted. I want to lift them back up. I want to see them walk in the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? You can't hold a task against them. That's nuts. It's impossible. Why? What was held against you? My sins are as far as the east is from the west. And it wasn't my doing. He did it. I've been forgiven. Does that mean I sin? Duh. Yeah. I wake up. I sin. I sin in my dreams. I was reading John Bunyan. He says, I've got enough sin in my personal prayers to condemn humanity. Okay, but we forgive. That is what love is. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, it says love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Why? It does not seek its own. Listen, if, if I'm not seeking my own, how can you wrong me? I like that. Love covers a multitude of sin. All right? Now, here I want to close with this point. I just want you to think about this. Because, you know, I've, I've gone through this. These points of love, truth, affection, oneness, purity, humility, forgiveness, togetherness, confidence, boasting, and joy. But I want you to think about forgiveness for a second. Because here's one of the things that I believe that causes the greatest devastation to a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? It's not that we don't forgive. We will forgive. Okay, eventually you're going to hear a message that's going to convict you because I've not been forgiven. I'm sorry. And you're going to walk away from it. That ain't what I, what's killing us. I think what's killing us and what the Apostle Paul's trying to get to you and me in chapter 7 is that love is eager to forgive. Okay, because that's where you and I struggle. We'll let the theology bounce around. Oh, I'm supposed to forgive. If I don't forgive, God won't forgive me. But it'll be all right. Maybe I'll see him tomorrow or what? No, 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 no. Paul's point is there's an eagerness to forgive. There is a longing that comes from love for repentance because repentance brings restoration. And there's an eagerness to forgive that individual. That's what the Apostle Paul's trying to get to us. When I think about 10 points of love, I can, I, I can just jump right there and say, okay, yeah, it's forgiveness. I'm not here to condemn you. All right. I'm not here to damn you. I'm not here looking for vengeance. It's not what I'm here for. But I am eager to forgive you. And I think that that's where we struggle. We know we want to forgive. We don't want to carry that thing. That bitterness, because that's what it is. Unforgiveness is bitterness. Unforgiveness is I'm seeking my own. But now I shift it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? There's an eagerness to forgive. That I may even go out and seek the person out. Why? We are supposed to help the feeble. We're supposed to strengthen the faint hearted. We are supposed to lift up, hold up the weak. That means I got to be involved. That means my forgiveness is out front. And it isn't, it isn't like your kids. You know how your kids, you get, they get busted? I'm sorry. Okay, right? And you're like, you ain't either. <laughs> right? Maybe your kids are better than mine. My kids are always, I'm sorry. You ain't either. It's sort of like blowing up 55-gallon drums in cars. I'm sorry, sort of. <laughs> when you take my money, I'm real sorry. Okay? But there should be an eagerness in our hearts to bring that person back to the restoration of not quenching the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit. Stop where you're going. You know, I was... Challenged one time, someone says, you just don't have a lot of exhortation. And I was like, yeah, so. Um, but then it, I, I looked at the word exhortation, and it dawned on me, and that's one of my strong suits. 
Okay? Because most people think exhortation is you walk alongside, pat them on the head and sing kumbaya. That ain't exhortation. Exhortation is you put your arm around them and you say, now you keep walking down this road right here. See that cliff right there? You're going to go right over that thing. Now, if you want to continue, go ahead, but I'll stand here and wait. But I'll be standing here when you crawl back up out of that big old ditch. That's exhortation. Because I, I, I will tell you now, it is easy for us to confront sin. It is hard for us to restore. We all like to point to the speck in our brother's eye. But are you willing to restore it? And are you willing to wait on them until God brings them to repentance? Okay. But you have to be eager about it. You've got to show the people repentance is worth coming back for. That's the key. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, I just thank you for, for my brother Paul and the amazing, the amazing things that you did through that man in spite of all of the things he had to suffer. Lord, I, I can't imagine. And yet, Father, I pray Pray for each of us that is here this day that the love you've poured into our heart by the person of your spirit would be eager to forgive. But yet, Father, let our love have a longing for repentance and beginning in our own hearts first. As fast as we can, Father, let us understand that love covers a multitude of sin. And Father, that love keeps a record of no wrong. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for drawing us this day. Thank you for what you're doing. And Father, for the five gentlemen who will be standing before your throne on Saturday morning, Father, I lift them to you. And Father, in humility of heart, a deep passion for revival in this country, that they understand that, they, uh, that there must be repentance first in your bride, and Father, second in this nation. But Father, may it sweep like a great fire, and may everyone stand in awe, that the hand of an awesome God has done exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine. I praise you, Lord. I praise you for what you have done. Father, what you are doing. Oh, Lord, what you will do. Go before each of us as we are ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, go before each of us and we will walk in the glory and the majesty of you who spoke existence into being. In Christ's name, amen.